Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of the Ostrich Technique Podcast. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Ananth. And I'm your other host, Chris. Yeah, so last episode, we did The Incredible Hulk, and as promised, we are continuing on with our MCU rewatch and continuing to Iron Man 2. So that, of course, third movie in the MCU, uh, I mean, I think pretty mixed opinions on this movie as a whole, I think, from the general fandom, right, Chris? Yeah, Yeah, so it's, um, I guess we can just, you know, jump right into it, Chris. So why don't you take it away, give us a synopsis for Iron Man 2, and, you know, some of the just, like, cast details and stuff. Sounds good. So Iron Man 2, um, with a world now aware of his identity as Iron Man, Tony Stark must contend with both his declining health and a vengeful madman with ties to his father's legacy. So this, again, is directed by Jon Favreau, returning from Iron Man 1. Um, It also stars Robert Downey Jr. again, as well as Gwyneth Paltrow, with new additions of Mickey Rourke and Don Cheadle. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, of course, the elephant in the room, Don Cheadle, replaces uh, Terrence Howard. We, We see that pretty early on in the movie. I mean, did you have any thoughts about that i guess the first time you saw iron man 2 chris not really i mean like i guess roadie definitely plays a much more prominent role in iron man 2 so mm-hmm. whereas iron man 1 like he was definitely you know he was he was still there he still had a presence but um it didn't strike me enough where it's like okay well this is kind of weird um i ended up actually liking Cheadle's performance better or interpretation of the character anyway so um, you know, it didn't really bother me that much. What about you? Yeah, you know, I I remember when I first saw the movie being slightly confused by it. Like, oh, what, this is a different guy than played it in Iron Man 1. But I think, it, you know, over the years, over time, I, I, I agree with you. I think his performance is definitely better than uh, Terrence Howard's performance. And it's, it, it's interesting because, you know, I was doing a little bit of research before the episode, before we recorded... And apparently they had actually reduced Rhodey's role in the movie initially. And then when they cast uh, Don Cheadle, they actually beefed the role back up because he is such a good actor. Um, and yeah, it, it was just really interesting to see how, how they took... And honestly, I, I think he's probably one of the best written characters in Iron Man 2 overall, which I can't really say for everyone like i i mean and we can get into that of course once we once we start discussing the, the three acts but you know uh i i really think that they did a really good job with him and you know don Cheadle really just brings a lot of uh relatability to the role for sure mm-hmm. yeah 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 so i guess we could just jump right into it so of course act one um it's it's a it's an interesting way they actually start off this movie because we we of course hear the you know as the logos come in and stuff we get like the press conference uh, at, at, from Iron Man one of course the pivotal one where Tony Stark reveals that he's Iron Man but we see it from a different perspective this time we uh, are in sort of the dim and dark and snowy Russia and we see that it's playing on this really like tiny TV screen of someone we don't know who. Um, of course, we do learn that it is Anton Vanko and his son, Ivan Vanko. Um, and it, it it's interesting, that whole scene where they actually show him, like, you know, making the arc reactor for the first time. I don't know if you saw it the same way, 
but I kind of saw it as a foil to Tony. Yep. Like, you know how, yep. like, he was literally building his arc reactor in a cave with a box of scraps in Golmyra. He basically did the same thing in, mm-hmm. like, Siberia. I, I I don't know if you caught, felt the same way. No, I, I literally felt the same exact way. I was like, oh, wow, this is the other side of the coin. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, so, no, I, did, I thought it was just really interesting how they try and set him up as this foil for Tony Stark. And you knew in some ways he kind of is. You know, they show that he's very smart. They show that he's physically capable. But, you know, life just handed him a really poor set of circumstances. And, you know, he was stuck in Russia with his uh, dear old dad who was sick. And, and uh, yeah, and his bird, of course. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the bird, which is, you know, interesting. But it's just, uh, you know, it, 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 I really thought it was... Uh, I, I thought it was a good setup, you know, it, it, it sets a tone for the movie, which I don't know if it necessarily meets, but, you know, it's, it's I thought, uh, a good way to start it off. Did you have any thoughts on how it opens? Uh, no, I, I actually, I like the way it opens. Um, like you said, gives it the other perspective. Um, I think it's, it's a nice way to introduce the villain and basically kind of give him a little bit of a backstory, but not really giving too much expo on it. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I thought it was a good opening. Yeah, yeah, no, show, don't tell. So they, they did a good job there. Um, of course, after I, I also did like, I mean, one thing that I noted was I like how when he was making the first arc reactor, they show that it's much cruder. So, like, you know how in the initial arc reactor that Tony built, you could see, like, those copper wires yeah. around, like, the little metal ring, like, really nicely, tightly wrapped? Versus in Vanko's, when he's, like, doing the little drops of whatever liquid on there, yeah. you can see they're, like, really crudely wrapped. Which I don't know. I I guess maybe shows a little bit of the difference between them, or or you know just difference in um, capability. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then of course after that we go to the whole Stark Expo bit, um, and this is really I think the only time that I'll talk about the score again. Uh, again, a, a early Marvel I don't think really has remarkable soundtracks in particular, but I have to say the addition of ACDC in the beginning was really just a great way to start it off. Um, and I don't know about you, but I thought there was a lot more ACDC in this movie than there actually was. There's really only this song in the beginning, Shoot to Thrill, and then uh, Highway to Hell at the end. And I thought there was, like, way more in the middle of the movie. Did you did, did you also think that? or I, I Yeah, I, for some reason I always feel like there's more ACDC in these Iron Man movies than there actually are. Yeah. But uh, I guess I guess that's part of it <laughs> yeah you know you know it, yeah. they play you know i don't know it just seems like it was supposed to be a very big thing and they only you know just need to include snippets of it and you know you get that sense yeah i mean you know they did i mean the soundtrack they made for iron man 2 literally has branding with like you know acdc slash iron man 2 like it, it's it's they try to make it a thing, I, and I mean, it's basically just an ACDC album with Iron Man on the cover. So, and with like ACDC's greatest hits, which I don't mind, I love ACDC, but it's, um, you know, I, I always thought that there was more than there was, so I was kind of surprised doing that, watching that and listening to it. But other than that, I would say probably the score isn't anything to write about. Like, it's pretty, very, very much like in the background. It's nothing that you notice. I don't know if you picked yeah, up I mean, on anything I... notable in the score. Like, I don't know, personally, for these MC- early MCU scores, like, obviously, I think the biggest improvement and most noticeable one was uh, Avengers 1. Of course. Uh, but pre-Avengers, uh, I would say 
Captain America is probably the only score that's actually somewhat noticeable to me. Yeah, well, that's because it's done by the same guy who did The Avengers, Alan Silvestri, so... Oh, Silvestri, okay, cool, got it. Yeah, 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 no, so this one, I guess, for context, was written by John Debney, who I'm sure is a great composer, but he's done some notable films like Chicken Little, of course, The Great Chicken Little Uh-oh. from Disney Channel, or not, it wasn't on Disney, it was a Disney movie, not Disney Channel, and then I think the big one is Passion of the Christ, that's probably his big, like, the big Oscar-y movie, but, um, yeah, I mean, John Debney, very sort of... Uh, inoffensive in the background score nothing really stands out about it um one thing i did want to say about the opening also uh, was i know you and i've seen the alternate opening um yes. i don't know if you have a preference between that one and the one that we got because i do so you're talking about the opening with him just uh, tony being like puking in the plane and then kind of just jumping out yeah yeah the drunk opening with like with pepper in the plane and pepper throws off the helmet and which we also got in like the trailers and stuff where like she kisses the helmet and then throws it off and he has to go get it um i don't have a preference i think it would have been it would have added a little bit more i guess if they showed that alternate opening because you know obviously a lot of this film touches on tony's alcoholism or just his health in general, his declining health. Mm-hmm. So that would have, you know, shown a bit more of that. Like, okay, he's literally throwing up, and then a second later, he's jumping off a plane into the expo. But I don't really yeah. have a preference personally. Yeah, you know, I, I, I personally do prefer the alternate opening. I think that the first one, the one that we have in the movie, is just like you know, sort of. He, he obviously like just jumps off the plane and looks very cool and is flying down into. Uh, whatever, the Flushing Meadows Stark Expo area. Yep. But I think that the whole way that they set up the alternate opening with him being drunk and then Pepper throwing off the helmet, I honestly, I think it infuses a lot more character into it. It, like, gets us right back into the characters that we really love from the first movie. And uh, honestly, like, I, I think it's probably one of my common criticisms throughout the movie is I feel like they didn't go far enough on a lot of things. In particular, like, the whole... I know we've discussed, like, the fact that they are paying an homage, basically, to the Demon in the Bottle storyline. Yep. Um, Even though it's not really alcoholism, per se, in the movie, but it's more, uh, like, his, again, his declining health and stuff. So, it's, I I really think that that wasn't fleshed out enough, and I think maybe seeing a little bit more from the beginning that he, he is sort of just being a little bit, like throwing caution to the wind because he knows he's gonna die i I think that would have maybe been a little bit better for me at least but it's still a cool opening i mean you get to see him flying around he does like the really cool pose and he has like the whole demonstration there yeah and i I think at least for me and i probably for you as us you know people who grew up in the new york metro area um i thought it was really cool seeing that uh where the Stark Expo is held, and that, like you said, like the Flushy Meadows, I don't even know what that area is called, that that structure, but it's just been abandoned for as long as I know. And then yeah, just exactly. see that on screen is like, you know, being actually built out, renovating everything. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know, it just seemed very interesting, very cool. Yeah, no, I remember, that was something that did st- stick out to me as well, because, yeah, you're, you're right, it's, it is almost like abandoned and stuff, so it, it is kind of cool to see how, um, it was sort of brought back to life because it, it was initially built for the World Fair, I think, in like the '60s or something. So to kind of keep it in that same 
sort of uh, vein was interesting. And of course, we kind of get a reference to the Stark Expo back in you know Captain America the first yeah. movie when they when the original Howard Stark does it. So you know, um, yeah, I guess we'll move on from there though. But we get back into the that whole bit. We we do of course get our Stanley cameo uh, right away, which is the the uh, Larry King cameo where he's uh, yes. he's like just exiting the Stark Expo. But then it sort of shifts back from the the expo and then they now go to the the senate hearing where tony does tony's called to a senate hearing and well did you did you skip over the uh the blood toxicity stuff oh well yeah you start getting a little bit of like the whole blood toxicity bit like he he pricks his finger and you start seeing that which they see throughout the movie and you're like oh what's going on with him which um, well, yeah. I, I I do have a little criticism of that because I forget what it was like twenty five percent the beginning or something like uh-huh. that, but you know that it was it was much more than it was in double digits and it, I just again it's a fictional movie but like wouldn't you pretty much be dead if you're yeah. that toxic <laughs> yeah you know I I mean even later on it, it, I think there was like a point where it was ninety eight percent toxic which is like bro you should just be dead at that point like ninety eight yeah. is basically dead but. I, I mean, the, the, these movies are not... I mean, they're playing hard and fast with science here, so, you know. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, to kind of segue to your point of the, the Senate hearing, um, we have a, a Kate Mara cameo. Um, was that Kate Mara? I was trying to look that up on IMDb, the, yeah. the one who serves him. Yeah, it was Kate Mara. When I saw it, I was like, is that Kate Mara? I looked it up and I was like, "Yeah, she took the role because she was, um, not promised, but kind of like hinted towards like, hey, some of these smaller roles down the line may turn into bigger roles in, in the MCU." And she's like, "All right." Um, obviously, it didn't really turn into anything. Um, MCU wise, hey, well, she was, she was uh, Sue Storm in Fan Forstick. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, the, the great Fan Forstick. Yeah, well, not for her. Yeah, yeah, but um. She, I don't know. I the interview I read that she, you know, she said, she has no regrets. She had fun doing it, even though it was like, I don't know, two in the morning or something. <laughs> it was like a short. It was, it was probably like a, a day of shooting for her at most. Yeah, right yeah. But anyway, so yeah, cool. she serves Tony, and then uh, we get to the Senate hearing. Yeah. So I mean, I don't have much to say about the Senate hearing. Of course, this is where we get Justin Hammer. We get the introduction to Rhodey as well, which we we've discussed. Of course, Justin Hammer's played like really well. Um, I do like the fact that they call him the current weapons contractor, of course, since Tony isn't the weapons contractor anymore for the government. Um, We get, like, whatever the different attempts of the Iron Man armor that we see. And, uh, you know, I I think that this movie in particular, like, the way that the the cut shift, I don't know for you if it felt jarring, but for me it definitely did. How we're going from really serious tone in Russia, then we go to like the glitz and glamour of the Stark Expo, and then we go back to this sort of conversation about Iron Man tech and the government, and it really just sort of speaks to the movie as a whole, which like, I mean, this is really the first like 10 minutes of the movie where it goes to all of these three things, and I think the confusion of the movie really does play in my mind. Like, it really doesn't know what it wants to be. No, yeah, it, it is definitely a big shift in tone, and then especially in the later acts which we'll talk about like when they start bringing in the shield aspect and and all all of that where it just comes out of left field of like hey yeah exactly um yeah no i agree with you there's a ton of tone shifts and um 
it definitely can feel confusing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, me personally, I I like this film much more than the average uh, Marvel fan. So mm-hmm. it didn't bother me as much, but objectively speaking, I would say yes. I, I agree with your point. It's it jumps around a lot, especially like you said within the first ten minutes. Yeah. No. I, I mean, to be clear, I, I do also enjoy this movie overall. I, I think it's a fun movie. Um, yeah. I I think it's more fun than than the Incredible Hulk. Like I think the Incredible Hulk is just like pretty, uh, you know, generic. It, well, I mean, it, it it doesn't really do anything that really grabs your attention. And I think a lot of that has to do with the characters, um, because even in all of the mess of this movie, like you still get hints and moments of those character interactions, which I think really does drive the movie for me. Um, and I, I do note that a couple of times um, as we go on, but it's uh, yeah, I, I I don't know if you feel the same way. I would imagine you do. I do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, of course. Uh, so we've we've talked about Justin Hammer. We've talked about Rhodey. Senator, we talk, we, Senator Stern too. Yeah, Senator Stern. <laughs> of course. I mean, we we do get a little bit more of him later on in uh, Captain America too, which I thought was a really nice callback. Um, it, I, it's honestly, uh, watching the Senate hearing was kind of funny because, like, obviously now we've seen a lot more, like, Senate hearings of you and I f- from, like, yes. just the various things that go on in the news. And this honestly feels pretty true to life in some regards, just, like, people, like, the especially how, like, the the bit when Senator Stern tells Rhodey to read a specific bit of yeah. the report completely out of context and then, like, just tries to cut him off when Rhodey's trying to provide additional context as, yes. like, the expert. So, yeah. But anyway, I mean, then we obviously get a little bit more in Russia and we see that uh, Anton or Ivan, rather, is is finalizing some sort of, like, electrical whip of, of course, we know it's a whip. But we, do, I guess, the audience wouldn't know that it's a whip at the beginning, and then we cut back to the whole thing about like the Palladium Core killing Tony, um, and him still having, I guess, the arc reactor in his heart. And it's, it's something that I never really understood why he never got the shrapnel properly removed by the end of the, but like, yeah, between the first and second movie, he only did it at the end of the third. And I mean, he had access to modern technology, like medicine yeah. and stuff, to do it. I yeah, I agree, and. To say they're like, oh, he, yeah, he, oh, the technology wasn't ready yet. Like, he's literally hijacking mm-hmm. uh, government screens in the yeah. Senate hearing. There's no way he didn't have the medical technology to get the strap on the roof. But, I, I mean, I, maybe it's just a lazy thing on his part. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> it's a big I mean- question. Yeah, I, I really don't know why they didn't just get it removed by a certain point. Of course, I, I'm glad they, they did eventually remove it at the end of Iron Man 3. Um, of course, it, yeah, but the whole thing about the palladium poisoning, I thought it was interesting, again, but they uh, didn't really flesh it out enough. And then I, I thought that, it, honestly, though, the whole point of the palladium poisoning was an interesting angle to make his sort of debauchery and the way that he was sort of throwing caution to the wind. Like, yep. it was an interesting angle to put that, and I didn't really realize all of the, you know, uh, until this rewatch, I didn't realize all of those sort of him acting out that way was a, a function of that, uh, him just sort of, because he's dying, he didn't really know that. I, I, I don't know if I really, maybe I'm just stupid, maybe I just didn't put two and two together, but that was, yeah. I, I thought it was are. a really interesting way to frame it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, 
that was uh, very heavily implied that uh, he was being so reckless because of you know his impending death due to the palladium poisoning. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then obviously at his birthday party, he just gets really drunk because it's his last birthday party, essentially. Yeah, quote unquote. Yeah. So, yeah, and then I mean after that, what we get. Um, we, I mean, it basically ends with the whole. Uh, Act one really ends with the entire Monaco sequence. So, we, uh, I mean, just jumping through it quickly, we we see obviously Elon Ivan Musk. gets his passport, which interesting. It his alias is Boris Turgenev, Turgenov, which is the second Crimson Dynamo actually in the comics. Oh, really? And, yeah, and Anton was the first in the yes, comics. Yes, did. Yes, did know that. Yeah. Yeah, so Bo- the the name of the passport, Boris Turgenov, is the second Crimson Dynamo. So that was, I thought, a cool little touch. Um, we meet Scarlett Johansson playing Natalie Rushman slash uh, Natasha Romanov. Of course, that that was, I thought, a pretty pretty cool intro. But, I mean, you can clearly tell in the movie she's being used as, like, sort of a, a sex piece. They, and yes. she said as much, and I think John Favreau has also said as much, that they used her kind of, like, as a sort of sexualized figure in the movie, which I, I don't know if I love that, but I'm glad that they, you know, toned that back quite a bit in her later appearances. Yeah. Um, I don't know, for me, as somebody who wasn't as uh, knowledgeable of Marvel lore and just kind of like the breaking news back when Iron Man 2 came out, I remember seeing this and, like, I did not even know that she was playing Black Widow. Um, yeah. So it was a pretty cool surprise to me um, when, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, she reveals herself in, like, I guess, Act 3? I think Act 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, towards, towards the end of Act 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It, yeah, that was a really good surprise. Obviously, I don't think you and I were as steeped in all of this stuff when we saw the movie for the first time, but, yeah, that was a really nice surprise for me, at least, too. So, um, yeah, and then, of course, we end with the whole Monaco sequence again, another bit of Tony acting out where he just randomly decides to drive this uh, Formula One car and we get Ivan destroying the car, basically, which I don't really know what his entire plan was here because it's not like he knew Tony Stark was going to drive it. Even, I mean, Tony didn't know any, no one from his party knew that he was going to drive until, like, basically he got into the car. So was he just gonna like go into the hotel and whip him with the electric whips? Like I don't know what the what the goal was here. I, yeah, I think his goal was to he knew I think he knew Tony was gonna be at that F one event. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think his goal was essentially just to find Tony and then yeah, make him yeah. bleed essentially. Make him bleed, but I mean I don't know. I mean he was he was as a crew member and Tony would have probably been like up in the the hotel. I don't know if crew would have necessarily been going to like that fancy hotel paris or something yeah i mean i feel like it's probably the only realistic way for him to be able to hide his whip uh exoskeleton yeah with, with that jumpsuit so yeah i guess so um yeah it, it, it is what it is obviously the fight is interesting and we do get our first actual suit up of iron man we get to see how the suit has Dude, evolved the, a bit with the, the suitcase the suitcase suit is so cool it's so so cool and of course the suit the cg and all of that stuff is still like a plus the sound design is a plus it still has that sort of real tactile 
uh, heaviness and metallic sound that you really love from these Iron Man movies. Yeah. Um, like the gears whirring, the repulsor sound. So, yeah. I, I It was a really, really cool design. Also, interesting, apparently he calls it a football. Um, he, calls, he calls the suitcase a football. And I think that was a reference to, like, I think what... Um, I think it was like something like Reagan called his suitcase or briefcase or something like that. Or no, no, it's what they would call. I believe the president calls the suitcase or briefcase, which has like the nuclear launch codes or something. So I thought it was an interesting. Oh, little, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was I thought a little cool touch. But yeah, I guess that's the end of really Act One. So before I guess we jump into Act Two, just like we did in the last episode, we'll just I guess touch back on the Stanley cameo and continue with our ranking here. So. Of course, right now we have Iron Man, the first his first cameo as Hugh Hefner's one, and then his second cameo drinking the uh, soda and then having gamma poisoning was two. So now we have the brief Larry King cameo. Chris, how would you rank that one? Um, I think this is a very similar cameo to Iron Man 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to distinguish between the two. So, I mean, I would go one and two. Uh, interchangeably okay. with uh, the Iron Man 1 versus this one and probably put the uh, the Incredible Hulk cameo is 3 at the moment okay um, interesting I, I would actually probably put this one a little bit lower just cause he's literally in it for like one second you barely see him in it um, and I, I don't know I felt like the one in the Incredible Hulk was a little bit more impactful but um, you know, we can, uh, we'll probably just stick with yours. We can say that, you know, Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2 is 2, and then Incredible Hulk 3. Well, I mean, we could also have our own rankings, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we could. That's just, I guess, more work to track it, but that's totally fine. But, yeah, so, you know, Iron Man, so that that is where our Stanley, second, or third Stanley cameo now ranks, and we will continue to, I, I guess it'll get more interesting once we, you know, have a lot, and we'll see where, like, sort of, other ones sort of slot in between but right now it's i guess kind of boring we now we just have three on the board um but yeah i guess we can jump into act two so um you know act two we start off with after monaco where they're in the plane tony and pepper and you know like i said i think these are the moments like these really like sort of quiet moments where they're just sort of interacting with one another uh, is really, I think, where the movie shines. And why I think everyone really likes these characters so much is because they really give them th- th- these really small moments to interact with one another and really play off of each other, which is what made the first movie, I think, really so great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I mean, you really get a little bit of the... I, I think this is actually that moment where you get a sense of he's really trying to take it all in before he dies and he really thinks he is gonna die which is kind of interesting because um especially from like you know the first movie we we saw that in glimpses when he was in the cave in Gomira, but uh he didn't uh he always has this sort of sense of like i'm invincible like nothing can really hurt me uh, just invincible iron man confidence yeah and the invincible iron man exactly so it's uh it's just interesting to see that sort of vulnerability from the performance. And of course, Robert Downey Jr. just plays it really, really well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I think of course, after that, we, uh, cut back to Vanko in prison. Interestingly, he gets broken out. Um, and it was interesting cause you know, here he, he of course meets up with Justin Hammer 
and um, he acts like he doesn't speak English, but it was interesting because I, I didn't obviously mention the scene earlier where Tony goes and meets him and like when he's in custody, he speaks very good English there with Tony, like talking about like how you can make God bleed and all of that stuff. And then when he's with Hammer, he like is talking like in Russian, which is I thought kind of funny. Yeah, I mean he he's clearly playing Hammer. Uh, yeah, he's on another level of intelligence. Yeah. Um, and he's essentially just taunting Hammer at that point, with Hammer just being completely oblivious to the fact of, like, you just hide, you just, you don't even know the, the, the level of intellect that you're, that you broke out in hiring. Oh, definitely um, not, no. I um, mean, he and, just saw dollar signs. Yeah, and, and I think it, it's, it shows, like, like, Hammer just does not see uh, Vanko turning on him, coming. And uh, I think Vanko realizes that right away. It's like, this guy just doesn't even know who I am. Right. Uh, or d- doesn't recognize my abilities. Um, and so he's, he's just kind of playing with them. Like, you know, pretending not to know English. Yeah, no, no, of course. It's it's just really interesting, um, that whole thing. And, of course, here is where we get the famous line, I want my bird. Yes. Yeah, the the famous "I want my bird" line. So it, I just I found that really interesting. Uh, I mean, it, his his choices for this character are just very interesting. I would say overall, Mickey Rourke. Um, Mickey Rourke, yeah, yes, quite the character. Very. Um, yeah. Of course, here we also after that now we get a little bit more of the Tony Rhodey relationship. Um, of course, Rhodey's really mad about the whole thing at uh, Monaco. And, you know, he storms down and is about to, like, just chew Tony out. And then, of course, he sees Tony is really sick, and he immediately goes into friend mode. And, I, I again, I really like that sort of dichotomy that Rhodey plays in this movie. And, again, Don Cheadle, I think, just plays that really well. He, he does. And I think the big difference between him and Terrence Howard's portrayal is that it's much more like a buddy-buddy or, like, you know, brother around the same age. Yeah. sort of uh, dynamic whereas Terrence Howard really felt more of a uh, supervisor like like older brother mm-hmm. sort of role um, yeah definitely I think yeah, it they... works better the way Cheadle has it oh for sure no I, I know we discussed that in the first movie the choice between Terrence Howard and the choices that they made uh, apparently Don Cheadle did try to pull a lot of cues from Terrence Howard's performance just you know to keep it consistent but I, I do think that that change in particular to make Rhodey seem more like an equal with uh, with mm-hmm. Tony was just much better in my opinion I, I think it plays much better as them like being actually friends as opposed to you know uh, yeah like you said being more of the older brother type so mm-hmm. um, yeah of course I think after that even though he has that whole bit uh you know, there's the whole birthday party that happens pretty soon after that whole thing where um, it's kind of interesting because initially in the plane where Tony's saying, oh, do you just want to not have like a birthday for me at all? Like we could just do like something really small. He's just trying to, you know, spend the time with people that he cares about, but ultimately, you know, falls back to his worst sensibilities where he is going doing this party. And of course, this is the whole bit where you actually see him drunk and um, just trying to, you know, hide all of his complications and and mask it all with just sort of being this fun loving guy and you know Pepper tries to shut it down and then um, 
you know, Rhodey also just gets really mad, and this is where he actually takes the suit. And I, I know, I think you and I have discussed this separately, but one thing that I never really got was how Rhodey fit in this suit, because I'm pretty sure that Tony made them custom for his own body, so... I agree, but I also think, just like, um, what was it, just like his, uh, sort of like lock or scanner to get into his workshop, yeah. that he allows certain access, or, I guess it's like, maybe not like a one-size-fit-all, but like a one-size-fits certain range of people, and I guess Rhodey was within that range. Um, maybe, I don't know. Um, but, I mean, according yeah. to what Natalie Rushman, there's apparently inbuilt contingency or inbuilt redundancies to prevent uh, any sort of unauthorized usage. But yeah, so clearly, I guess Rhodey was someone that was meant to be authorized yes. in his mind. So yeah, I, I think Rhodey. I, th I, I feel like it's implied that Rhodey is an authorized one of the few authorized users. Of course. Um, I mean, obviously, at the end of Iron Man one, you know, Rhodey looks at the. Uh, the prototype silver suit is like you know next time baby so i think he and tony have probably had discussions at some point of like hey like can i fly one of these things you know yeah I mean, yeah good enough friends where it's like okay i trust you enough to to handle this so yeah probably i i mean it, it's probably that i mean it's just an interesting you know little bit there i think yeah. the other part of that was also how roadie seemed to know how to fly like right away that, of course that is a bigger question i have yeah <laughs> yeah i mean of course in the first movie that was like a whole thing where tony had to figure that out i i mean the way that i i guess rationalize it was that probably like you know jarvis is there to help out like i, I mean tony had really done a lot of the legwork figuring out the specifics of flying so probably there was some software to help out with that but it, yeah, I still feel like it should have been more difficult than it was. Yeah, I mean, like, you can see when, when Rhodey ends up stealing the suit and flying it back to the Air Force Base. You can see from a Rhodey POV, um, he does have, a, like, the, the flight, um, like, dashboard up, essentially. Right. Um, you know, he'd be used to as, a, you know, somebody in the Air Force. But um, I, I would... I would like to take a guess at that some at some point between iron man one and iron man two tony had trained Rhodey to some extent on how to use the suit maybe mm -hmm. giving him like you know some flight lessons or just basic training on okay here's how you use the repulsors etc that i mean that's the only thing that would make sense for me on top of like what you said having jarvis to guide you etc right 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 I mean, I guess another bit also was like, I mean, I would imagine the, I mean, these are very expensive suits I can imagine. I, I don't know why yeah. Tony just never took it back. I mean, I, I guess maybe the, the image of uh, barging into a U.S. Air Force base maybe not the best look, but I mean, it is his suit technically, and Rhodey did technically steal it, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Tony was dealing with some stuff. I mean, like... Mm -hmm. I guess we can try and transition to that, but yeah, yeah. obviously the birthday party they have the fight. Um, yeah. Basically, yeah, the repulsor to repulsor kind of just knocks them both out, and, and Rhodey uh, flies away with the suit. Um, and that's kind of when Nick Fury comes in, right? Yeah, and yeah. Kind of, uh, I guess meets him at Randy's Donuts. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was that was um, interesting. I mean, like again, the the shield story really does sort of come out of nowhere. Yep. I mean, he says that Tony needs to get back to work. I mean, initially we don't know what that is, and of course later we find out that it's to build, finish building the arc reactor properly. But it's not really clear why Shield needs him to do that. Like it's more like just Avengers Initiative. Well, I mean, yeah, but what about the Avengers needs an arc reactor in particular, or do they just need Tony in particular? To, like you they know, need be... Iron Man. Yeah, they need Iron Man. They don't need Tony Stark, right? That's the that's yeah. the whole thing at the end. But I don't know. I, I think I agree. The whole S.H.I.E.L.D. thing just sort of really comes out of left field. And, of course, um, I guess outside of the movie, we know that. Um, well, yeah, it's a, a setup. Lot, it was a whole <laughs> setup thing. And and it, this was actually a thing that gave, you know, a lot. it was a lot of friction between Jon Favreau and Marvel. Because Marvel obviously really wanted all of this to try and set up the Avengers. And yeah, Jon Favreau did. really wasn't buying it. And he had to do a lot of rewrites, like, yep. on the set. So, and a lot of that is why he didn't come back for Iron Man 3. So, you know, it's a shame because I would have liked to see Jon Favreau's Iron Man 3. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, anyway, I guess the, the bit here is um, after that we also get back to, I, I mean, it's interesting because the whole bit with Ivan Venko and Justin Hammer, like, we only get a few scenes with them, really. Like, we get, like, one bit where Ivan is making drones and not suits. So, like, yeah. you can see Hammer, like, he's really sort of pushing Hammer's patience here. Um, and you can also see bits that, like, Ivan really has, like, some sort of other plan going on here in his mind. Oh, he very think, much, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then after that, of course, separately, we see Rhodey showing his thing to the generals and uh weaponizing it with justin hammer which i thought was kind of i mean that that's like also a pretty iconic scene where hammer's like you know just sort of walking through everything and um again really played well by sam rockwell he just does a really great job there yeah the ex-wife yeah the ex-wife oh man bust his bunker with the ex-wife um and then of course after that we see uh tony you know going through all of the materials with uh, from his dad and getting that whole information about the weapons reactor or the arc reactor and stuff and yeah. um, stuff and you know that that's really where act two ends we act, end with Howard basically giving Tony the hint that like look I built like this is the hint here um, you know I built this all for you I'm sure you can figure this out blah 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 you are my yeah. greatest creation and I, and I thought that was I thought that was kind of nice and I thought that uh, John Slattery played uh, Howard quite well actually I agree and no. uh, yeah it's obviously this portrayal um, is an homage to, to Walt Disney and his kind of, of course like, future of tomorrow stuff yes um, yeah exactly which um, was really cool um, and also you know we get our first glimpse of the Tesseract um, in yes Howard's notes which is actually pretty cool because nobody I mean obviously looking back at it you know, it's very blatant what it is, but you know, looking back at it, people batted an eye, just didn't even realize. Like, oh. yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot of little things here that they see in this movie that, uh, that like, I mean, obviously with hindsight, people understood like you know the context of it all, but it was uh, really interesting all of that. But yeah, I guess that's Act Two. Yep. And, you know, with that, with that, we'll jump back into the segment that we introduced last time, which is our trivia segment. So, of course, last time I was the one put in the ringer for trivia for Iron for The Incredible Hulk. So this time, Chris, 
I'm going to be asking you five questions from Iron Man 2. Uh, are you ready? Uh, hopefully you haven't cheated here and I have gone through IMDb. Okay, cool. So I have five questions here. So the first one, who came up with the co- idea for the cockatoo as Ivan Vanko's bird? Was it Mickey Rourke? It was Mickey Rourke. So it's interesting because a lot of those identifying features and the character choices for Vanko were Rourke's idea. So the bird, the gold teeth, and he actually paid for the bird and the gold teeth himself, which I thought <laughs> really? was really interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. He was – so Ivan Vanko was very much, I guess, a, a creation from Mickey Rourke, which is, I thought, just quite interesting. Um yeah, so question two here. What mar- famous Marvel villain was initially tattooed on Vanko's neck but was removed due to CGI? Or with CGI, rather. Wait, so was this villain, like this Mickey Rourke actually have this tattoo or the character had the tattoo? And it was the character. Tattoo? It was the character had the tattoo. Oh, okay. Um, huh. That's a good question. Um, I have no idea. I know, I know, uh, what was it? Uh, Iron Man 3, Aldrich Killian had, like, Fin Fang Foom or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, for for Whiplash, I have no idea. I, I, I will not venture to carry. Uh, I won't, I won't, uh, give a guess. Oh, you, you sure? I mean, I, I will say it's not an... It's not an Iron Man character. It's not who you would expect it to be. Okay. okay but it okay. is a villain that has appeared in the MCU. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I will take a guess then. Mm-hmm. Um, villain that has appeared in the MCU. Uh, I don't know, let me. I, I'll. I'll say like. I don't know. Taskmaster. I don't know. Taskmaster, no. It's actually Loki. Loki had a... He had a Loki tattoo on his neck, yeah. Interesting. apparently they removed it with CGI because the producers didn't want them to think... Like, the audiences to think that there was a link between Loki and Vanko. So, they actually removed that with CGI whenever it was visible on his neck, which I thought was very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the third one I think is going to be a bit of a gimme here. Which two comic book villains is I- Ivan Vanko in the movie meant to be the combination of? Uh, so Crimson Dynamo. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, well, I guess also there was Whiplash. Yeah. But it yeah, wasn't. That's it. Okay, I was going to say, but his Whiplash is, is different than the Whiplashes in the comics. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, so it is Crimson Dynamo and Whiplash. I will say, it seems like a bit of a stretch on the Crimson Dynamo front. Like, it, it, it had to be the mechanized suit and the fact that his dad is Anton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of see why, but, like, it, he wasn't really the Crimson Dynamo. No. Like, it, they're really... I mean, he. there's not even one hint of his suit being red like the Crimson Dynamo. No. But um, it's also interesting, because I believe the original Whiplash wasn't Ivan Vanko. And they actually made Ivan Vanko... Yeah him it like whiplash in the comics like after this movie because yeah like i yeah Ivan Vanko wasn't a character yeah or, so they least, yeah yeah so they made him a, a whiplash because of this movie and it actually i believe changed in the comics in like 2010 which i thought yeah. was interesting yeah um all right question four 
Uh, what well-known company today lent its facilities for the filming of Justin Hammer's warehouse? Oh. Uh. Uh, I, f- um, it's a good one. I don't know. Amazon? Amazon? No, it's was SpaceX, so. Oh, I knew that too. Because uh, I, yep. I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously Elon has the cameo. Yeah, Elon has that. the cameo. So, yeah, SpaceX, um, they actually lent his facilities, which is why, like, when he's walking for the first time and showing Ivan the his original suit you can see like almost like those sort of uh space uh, the space shuttle um or like the rocket sort of fuselages that they have there which is interesting so and the people that are walking in the background are actually spacex employees which i thought was interesting (laughs) that's pretty funny yeah and i guess on the theme of justin hammer for your last question what famous older actor was originally considered for the role of justin hammer Oh, good one. Um, uh, uh, I have no idea. So, it. Uh, do you want to take any guess at all? No, I'm probably going to completely no. miss the mark on it. Okay, well, the answer is Al Pacino. Al Pacino, oh, interesting. Yeah, I was. Uh, I did not realize that. Al, I mean, it, I'm glad that they stuck with Sam Rockwell. I guess just for yeah. you know longevity. But not that Al Pacino's dead. You know, I, I hope he lives for a long time. He's a great actor. But it, it's interesting that they had him in mind for Justin Hammer. That would have been quite a choice. Uh, yes, very much. Yeah, but uh, you know, that's that's the trivia round. I think I I, I think I got some good questions in there. You're, yeah. you're at a two now. Two yes, out of five. Yes. And I'm at two and a half, so I am currently in the lead. <laughs> the leader, yeah. I am the leader by uh, a blistering lead of half a point. point. Yep. But, uh, yeah, we will continue this trivia with our next episode, which is Thor. So I will also avoid looking at IMDb there, but, uh, yeah. Cool. All right, so I guess we'll jump back into Act 3 there. So now going back to our act three, of course, after the video with Howard, we go to Tony to with with Tony to his original office, which is now, um, you know, with Pepper there trying to run the company. And it's interesting because Tony actually tries to tell Peppers that he's dying. But like Pepper is just so overwhelmed that she doesn't even really give him the space to do that, Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. And you can see, again, Tony just trying to be vulnerable and in his sort of Tony way, but it doesn't really work out. Um, strawberries, right? Oh, yeah, the strawberries. That, that was, you know, I really like those little sort of character bits again. Like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, weirdo she is in real life, she really does play the character so well mm-hmm. of Pepper Potts. Um, especially, like, giving those little bits, like, you know I'm allergic to strawberries is, like, the one thing. Um, but it's uh, really, really great character stuff. And, of course, Tony does see the whole expo uh what is it like the diorama the diorama exactly uh the expo diorama and he brings that back with him just a visual of him taking that back in his audi sports car was i thought kind of funny um yeah the convertible just like sticking up out of it yeah 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 but it's also interesting because once he gets back and then he does the whole like you know realizes that the arc reactor is 
the or like the new element is there from the I guess the world pavilion that he builds it off of. Um, after all of that, and he does you know the hardware thing to try and build a new element. He gets you know Coulson pops back in, and it's really funny because the script sort of recognizes that Shield was an afterthought, and he's like, "Oh hey, you broke the perimeters." Like, yeah, you where were you? That I did this like five years ago or something like that, which also kind of shows that like they really didn't care about the Shield plot because he he yeah. I mean. Coulson makes a whole point of like, oh yeah, no, if you like leave this perimeter, like, and I'm here to enforce it, then like that's going to be a problem. And of course, Coulson was never there because he was dealing with other stuff and yep. uh, basically doesn't enforce the perimeter or perimeter at all. Which really, you know, I don't know if that really speaks well on Shield that they couldn't enforce a measly perimeter for yeah. such a high-profile figure. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, of course, we also get another little more uh broader mcu reference here because we get the shield the captain america yep. shield that uh colson holds up which honestly I, I thinking about it does have a little bit more context to it just because colson was also such a big cap, cap fan. fan yeah yeah so like him seeing oh what do you have this here for like probably thinking oh this is a collectible yeah yeah and it's just a balancer for or a level essentially for the yeah a level for that whole thing um, and of course, Tony discovers his new element here. Uh, did we get a name for the new element, or did we just call it a new element? Um, yeah, in at least in the movies, it's never given a name. I know in the like the book for the movie, they call it, they name it vibranium, which it really is not. So. It is not vibranium, no. So I'm gonna just say it's just a new element. Yeah, it's just a new element. I will say also, I'm not really sure why he didn't put that whatever little piece of the raw element before it's converted with the laser like closer to where the laser came out like it just yeah. seems like tony unnecessarily destroyed a bunch of his i mean he destroyed a bunch of his office i guess or his house anyway with like the sledgehammer and stuff but yeah um i feel like that kind of I, I guess it was just you know a cool visual um and of course this is like you know get him getting back to the grease monkey aspect of of his personality, which yes. again was really a, a nice little callback to the first movie. I but, agree. Um, yeah. Then, of course, after that, we get to the confrontation between Justin Hammer and Ivan Vanko. Obviously, Ivan is very clearly doing his own thing, and uh, Hammer tries to steal his bird, which is, I guess, rip the bird. I don't know. Yeah. Peta must have been up on them for that one. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, of course, it, uh, Justin Hammer's getting prepped for the whole Stark Expo presentation. And I didn't touch on this earlier in Monaco, but I thought it was interesting that, like, Justin Hammer was almost, like, deferential to Tony there, where he was like, oh, like, I, I would really appreciate if you could, like, get me a time slot for Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. He, you, you, yeah, he plays second fiddle. He, like, sucks up to Tony because he knows Tony's the big shot. yeah. No, it's just, it's really interesting, that whole dynamic that they have. Because clearly he's, like, trying to be, like, he's trying to, like, uh, he's he's trying to take a knee to Tony. But at the same time, he, like, you can definitely feel the jealousy there. Which, oh, 100%, yeah. Which, I mean, the, he plays that really, really well, um, the whole thing. And then, uh, you know, after that, they, they have the whole presentation of it all justin hammer's dance which again fun fact on the Iconic. justin hammer dance it was apparently sam rockwell's thing that he would do to just get into character for justin hammer so they just sort of incorporated it into the presentation oh nice yeah 
But uh, again, an iconic dance. Sam Rockwell just plays that so well. I, I, we, we need more Sam Rockwell in the MCU, guys. Like, I, I really hope he shows up in, like, a future movie because we've I mean, not gotten enough. He, jo- he, Justin he does. Hammer. He does show up. I mean, he shows up in the one shot. Where else does he show up? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He shows up in the one shot. That's it. Um, what it was called the not the what, what was it called? All hail the king. All hail the king. That's where he shows up. Yeah. I mean, I really do wish that we got more of Justin Hammer though, um, like as a role in a movie. I don't know. Maybe maybe he'll show up in Cap Four. I don't know. Maybe. I hope. We can only hope. I feel like Thunderbolts, you know, would be a good spot for him, but we'll see. Thunderbolts would be a good spot, actually. That is a good point. Um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, Thunderbolts would be good, you know, if if those movies ever come out and if the strike ever ends. Yeah. But, yeah. Pay your, pay your actors and writers, Disney, but and the strike. But, um, anyway, the... Yeah, we get the whole thing, and then we, of course, then get the reveal of War Machine. And I, I know we've discussed this separately again, but, man, the war, the original War Machine design is so, so cool. Good. It's such a badass look, um, especially the Gatling gun on the top. Like, they, they really yeah. deprioritized it in the later movies. Like, I know they kept a little bit of it, like, up to, like, I think Civil War even, but, man, the original look is just so cool and especially the color choice that they made for it like the gray and the really dark like sort of almost like the onyx color that they chose yeah and like you can feel the weight of the suit oh yeah the sound design is different which again kudos to whoever did the sound design in this movie because it was really really well done overall so um yeah man that what a what a great what a great design for a suit um, of course, the I guess the weapons aren't nearly as good in it as Tony's weapons, but, uh, you know, it was a really, really great design. And, of course, then that's really when the whole final battle starts. I don't really have much to comment on the final battle. I don't know if you do. It was just, it was just sort of cool overall, like, um, yeah, just flying around. You see yeah. Tony's more nimble. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, Vanko's big thing was, you know, drones are better than people, obviously. I mean... I think that was more of a just trying to convince Hammer to let him do his thing. Right. <laughs> just build an army, essentially. Yeah, um, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, it shows, you know, Fanko's, uh prowess with just technology in general. Like, he was, you know, controlling them remotely, all the drones, you know, running code and et cetera. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, we have the, the chase, uh, the, the flight chase. But then, yeah, inside the Oracle greenhouse dome oh, yeah. thing mm-hmm. um that was i think that was a fun fight scene um a lot shorter than i would think it would yeah. be um we don't really get to see that much whiplash honestly oh for sure suit. yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean obviously a good a good callback at the end of uh how they defeat whiplash with the repulsor to repulsor um war machine to iron man thing yeah, yeah. It's interesting. They never actually used that again, that whole mechanic no. of the repulsor to repulsor, which is interesting because they, I mean, with a lot of other, like, little bits like that, they do, I feel, bring that back in other movies. Like, even the the hammer on Cap Shield, like Thor's hammer on Cap Shield, they bring that back in the Avengers movies, too, so. Yeah. Um, uh, it's interesting. Oh, I get, that never, yeah. Go ahead. I, I guess in, in also in that whole sequence of uh with the drones uh obviously we have tony saving a little kid in the iron man mask 
Yep, who which, ends up um, is yeah. confirmed to be Peter Parker. Yeah, um, yeah. retroactively. Retroactively, um, but I, I I do feel like there was like I, I feel like I read on like Reddit and stuff like way before you know Spider Man was added to the MCU that like people were like oh what if this was Peter Parker like that'd yeah. be a really cool thing. Yeah. Um. So. That was cool. Um, you know, I, I, I will say, though, I'm not really sure what Vanko's goal here was with the whole thing. Was it just to sow chaos or was it just to go after Tony? I really don't know I, what the... I think it was to, to go to kill Tony. Yeah, because, I mean, why was his drone then just attacking random people? Why? why I, mean, I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, I guess it's also to create some chaos. I mean, it is a Stark Expo, so you're, you're hurting his legacy that way, too. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think about that. That's probably fair. Maybe, maybe. But um, overall, like, I think Whiplash as a villain, obviously, Marvel, one of Marvel's biggest criticisms is that the villains are not super memorable. Yeah, especially uh, early Marvel, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I think Vaco kind of falls into that category. He's a, he's a cool character, but... Mm-hmm. Like I said, we don't really get enough of him as actually Whiplash. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely, we don't. Um, yeah, not really all that... Uh, honestly, more memorable of a villain, kind of, for me, was Justin Hammer in some ways. Yes, yes. I, he had much more character. To for him. sure. For sure. I mean, he he probably also had the same amount of scenes as, like, Vanko, but I, I don't know. Sam Sam really ate up those scenes. He really yes. did such a good job with them. Yeah. Um, even though his wasn't as showy a role as Mickey Rourke's was with all of his various choices. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, of course, um, the end of the movie, we get, like, two different scenes. We get, like, the bit with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Fury, uh, the Avengers Initiative, and Tony reading out how, how you mentioned, like, in the beginning that Iron Man was recommended, but not Tony for some reason, which I thought yes. was interesting. And we, we actually see Wakanda on the map behind Tony. Yeah, we do. We do see Wakanda on that map, which is also a nice little nod to what they'll do. I mean, in Phase Three, they didn't really get to that for a while. Yeah, this is this is back in the day when Marvel actually planned out stuff and it made sense. Now it's like, oh yeah, we uh, we have a plan, or like, oh yeah, we made this movie. Yeah, we're actually referring to this like X amount of movies back, where it clearly was just kind of them retroactively doing it. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this this movie for sure definitely had like much clearer like they they I think I think after um, Iron Man and Incredible Hulk for sure they had a lot more wind in their in their sails and they knew that they were going to be able, yeah. like I, the reality of the Avengers seemed more possible than ever. So I yeah. think by that point there was much more coordination towards that point. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then of course the last scene of the movie overall is the presentation with. Senator Stern, which is a nice callback that they yes. they got him to do it, considering his you know sort of uh, him trading punches with Tony at the Senate hearing, yeah. um, and his, his little line to Tony when he's putting the medal on was yeah. so funny, uh, funny how annoying a little prick can be. Yes, um, Gary Shandling, yeah. rest in Gary Shandling. I mean, great role, rest in peace, Gary Shandling. But it was a, uh, I, I thought he played it well for whatever little yes. screen time he had. Yes, I agree. And then, uh, and then, of course, the final. We only have the one post-credit scene with Coulson uh, going to the Southwest region that Fury uh, teases a bit, and then you know, Coulson said that he was reassigned to New Mexico, and we see, of course, that it is Thor's hammer in New Mexico, which is a really cool little Easter egg, I guess, for um, you know early Marvel. It got people excited, like, oh man, they're actually going to th- do a Thor movie. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that that is uh, the that is Iron Man two. So, I guess Chris, any other final thoughts on this movie, and then we can just sort of get move into giving it a score. No, no, no other thoughts. Um, obviously, like we mentioned, it was really very clearly a setup to the Avengers, um, and, and mm-hmm. had consistency issues because of that. But yeah. Um, Overall, I, I found it as a fun movie. Um, and like I said, I like it more than the general audience or, you know, fans. Yeah, no, I think I agree. I think it's um, it's a fun movie that has its problems, but it's still enjoyable at the end of the day. And I think a lot of that has to do with the characters and the fact that the characters feel fleshed out and you're interested in them as opposed to, I guess, all of the flash and bang and excitement that goes on the movie and i think you know i guess that's a criticism for marvel as a whole now where it doesn't really feel like they focus on the characters as much anymore it's very much like it's almost taken for granted that like oh you're gonna watch this movie because you're interested in this superhero as opposed to the characters that make the movies more interesting and probably why guardians 3 was so good and refreshing after you know a string of stinkers I guess, except for Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi was overall well done, I'd say. But anyway, neither here nor there. Um, so, what is your score? You know, it's interesting. It, we're, we're doing the scores out of 10, right? Out of 5. Out of 5, out of 5. With, with, with uh, 0.25 increments. Right, 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 yes. So, with 0.25 increments, I'd... Pr- you know, I think initially, because I rated this movie on Letterboxd, I initially had this movie as a three and a half out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, I think after rewatching it, I've definitely bumped it down that rating. Um, I think I would probably give it uh, a 2.75. Wow. Say. Um, wow. It's a little bit better than two and a half, but like, I think overall, like the, the shift in, you know, the... The, the shift in tones was kind of jarring for me. The unfocused nature of it, it really didn't know what this movie... The movie really didn't know what it wanted to be um, was tough. I, it, it made it less enjoyable, but I think, like I said, the character bits, the you know the overall tone of the movie, there is still an element of fun to it, which I still give it some props for and which is why I, I don't dislike the movie but yeah maybe a little would probably be a little bit lower than your end yeah i mean i'm i'm stuck between a three two five and a three five mm-hmm. um oh wow that is higher yeah so i'm saying I, i've consistently liked this movie more than the average fan mm-hmm. and the rewatch did not sway me to like it less interesting um so i I feel like a three five because you know it equates to seven mm-hmm. out of ten. I, I'll 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 shift mine to like a three two five. Okay. Um, but it it truly is kind of like that in between for me. But I'll go three point two five. Yeah, I think I'll stick with the the two point seven five ratings, which would give it um, what is it like a? It it would be a little bit higher than a five. What I think that'd be a, what would that be? It'd be a five point five. Yes. Yeah, five point five. Or yeah. So there we go. Two that's uh that is uh you know, that that is Iron Man two. So 
I guess any final thoughts before we wrap up here, Chris? No, I think we covered some good ground in this hour, and uh, yeah, I had, cool. had fun rewatching. Yeah, no, it's, it was a fun rewatch for sure. And then, of course, next week, uh, next episode, we will be going through Thor, uh, directed by Kenneth Branagh, with Chris Hemsworth's portrayal of Thor. Um, you know, of course, you guys can find us uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts: uh, Spotify, Google Podcast, um, Apple Podcast, Amazon. Um, I mean, if you're inter- if you'd like to, you know, drop a rating, uh, like to follow us, please do. Um, if you have any feedback, of course, please do share your feedback. We're still, you know, this is only our, you know, what like fifth time doing a podcast. So any feedback that you guys have is greatly appreciated. You can, you know, email us at ostrichtechnique at gmail dot com. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that's that's really it for me, uh, Chris. Uh, And yeah, I guess we'll see you guys on the next one. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening.